want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. Have you ever noticed that it's easier sometimes to serve strangers than it is to serve people that are in your own home? Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's easier to be kinder to someone who you don't know their last name than somebody you share a last name with? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I said all the, all the time. I mean, there'd be like a moment, you know, in the grocery store parking lot where I, where I look over and I see an elderly woman pushing that cart back in. And I think, you know what? I want to go, I want to go show kindness to her. And so I, so I sprint, you know, run over to go push the cart, you know, the cart in. And, and she's all like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, oh, yes. You know, I just want to look more like love. And, you know, just, just pushing the cart in. And then we get in the grocery store and Somebody in my family is pushing, who will go unnamed, to push in the grocery cart, and we're in the frozen pizza aisle, and they clip the back of my heel, you know, and hit my Achilles, and I just let them know. I mean, one moment, I'm like, I want to look more like love. The other one, I just want you to look where you're going. That, that is the reality, that sometimes we demonstrate kindness to strangers more than we do people who are close to us. And I've been thinking about that this week, and I'm like, why does that happen? And, and one of the reasons I think it could be, it could just be time. Like, it's a lot easier to manage ourselves with a 15-second interaction than it is 15 hours, you know, over a weekend. I think another reason could be um, that we, we take the stress and the frustration of what happens in the day, and we bring it home to people that maybe, maybe we feel roommates or family who we feel comfortable or safe with. And so we're like, they're not going anywhere. And so we feel like sometimes we take that out on others. I think another reason, though, um, and maybe it's just me, but I think one, another reason is that uh, I can lose wonder in relationships. Sometimes with a strength, like there's a sense of wonder, and then sometimes we can lose wonder when things are real familiar in our family and in our close relationships. And Eugene Peterson gives a great definition of, of wonder um, I want to share with you. He said, he said, wonder is an astonished willingness to stop what we're doing, to stand still, open-eyed, open-handed, ready to take in what is more and other. Let me give that to you again. Wonder is an astonished willingness to stop what we're doing, to stand still, open-eyed and open-handed, ready to take in what is more and other. Like, man, when was the last time that you, that you felt a sense of wonder like, in life? When was the last time you felt that, like at the dinner table? I mean, when was the last time that you just felt a sense of wonder? I mean, the, the moment like you're looking up at the night sky, you know, and it's just clear and you see the stars. It's just that sense of awe and wonder. You're watching the way the ants just kind of make their way along the sidewalk. You just stop and just there's a sense of wonder, like a butterfly in flight. And there's just a sense of wonder. Like the reality is when we were all kids, we really had a sense of wonder. When we were children, we had that sense of awe and wonder, but then responsibilities and efficiencies and mortgages and <laughs> bills just have a way of squeezing the wonder out of life. And, and sometimes living transactionally can squeeze the wonder out of relationships. Experience this. I remember Rhea and I, we had, been, we had been married about 13 years, and it was just one of those busy seasons of life where we just had a lot going on. We had four kids. And they were all young. And we were at the church that I was at. We were having six services on the weekends. We were in a building campaign. There was just a lot of stuff that was going on between, between the calendar and kids' sports. And just it was everything had become really, um, really a, lot of, a lot of transactional. 
And, uh, and we're just trying to keep up with the calendar. And we really needed to get away. And it was around time for our anniversary. And, uh, and I, was, I was busy. I, I had this leadership thing that I was a part of that was our county. There were tons of leaders from different sectors who came together. And uh, they did, this, they did this, uh, this kind of icebreaker exercise on this retreat because we didn't know each other. And so they gave us the list of 20 questions that we could ask one another just to get to know. And as we were asking these questions, I'm talking with a group of strangers. I had this question that's going on in the back. I was like, I wonder what Ree would say to these questions. Like, I wonder how she would answer these. So I took the questions, I folded up, and I took them with me. And then when we were on that next weekend, when we went on that retreat together, we went down to, down to Florida, like one-bedroom condo that we had. You know, we had a couple days together. We, we walked to this little restaurant. It was like one of those beautiful little restaurants with the, you know, the lights that were kind of strung up back behind us. And we, you know, we found this, like, table where it was just, it was one of those moments that we just desperately needed that time away. And in the, we had wonderful dinner and place was gorgeous. Ree was, Ree's gorgeous. And so I'm sitting there and we're, I'm just, as we're talking, I remember the questions and I had those questions. I was like, I want to just ask her these. And I asked her those 20 questions and something happened that night in that like she just opened up. I mean, it was like, it was like, have you ever seen like the, the video, like the time lapse of like a flower that's just like blooming? It was like one of those moments she just opened up and I began to listen to her. And as I began to hear what she was saying, I was like, man, she's got such wisdom. She's got such great things to say. The dreams in her heart, she began to share those. And and something changed because of the listening. And Re, she she is the same person there. She's the same person there she was day before. What really changed was was me. And that it was that space to ask the questions, to listen. It was the empathy to be there. And that's what we were missing. Um, Because the familiarity and the busyness of life and the hurry of life had eroded the sense of wonder. Because here's what I thought. I was like, I know Ree. We've been together for a long time. We met in eighth grade. I've known Ree. Now, early on, I fell asleep with the phone out of wonder, asking questions. When we were, when we were kids and we were in school, I remember asking, I had asked so many questions. But then over time, I thought, you know what? Well, I know Ree. I know the way she's going to answer my question. I would think, you know what? I can finish her sentences for I may be better at finishing her sentences than her. Then over time, I was thinking, you know, I know Ree. I know what she likes to order at Chick-fil-A. I know her Starbucks order. I know what she likes at Bed Bath & Beyond. I know what she likes at Bath & Body Works. I know what Ree, I know the candle sense that she likes. I, knew, I know all these things, but just knowing things about her her and being able to answer the questions had eroded a sense of wonder. And I realized it'd been a long time since I had asked questions. I'd lost wonder. And it's not, I didn't lose wonder like you lose your car keys. I lost it over time. There was a slow leak. And something happened that night over dinner where wonder entered back into our relationship. And it was like Ree's heart was like a mountain range that I had barely even begun to explore. Or like her heart was like an ocean and I was standing on the shore. And I don't get this perfectly all the time, but here's what happened that night as I began to dignify her voice and I began to listen and I began on the journey and it changed our relationship. Really, it goes back to the sense of wonder and we can lose wonder in relationships and it's impossible to have wonderful relationships if we've lost wonder. So, Wonderful relationships have wonder, and wonder starts with God. Now, here's the deal. We can lose wonder in our relationship with God. Now, that's crazy when you think about it. The one who created the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who flung the stars into space. 
At this, this same God who keeps the universe going, we are on a ball of dirt that is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, going around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And we're like, yeah, but what's for lunch? <laughs> like we lose wonder that he made us, that he wired us, that he, he hand-knit us together in our mother's womb, and he made us uniquely down to our DNA. My wife, Ree, she's, she's an identical twin. She has a twin sister. They look the same. Identical, but they're different. Like we're all created with this uniqueness, uniqueness that God has made us for his glory. He's, we've been made in the image of God and there is a unique glory that's on each one of us. God made us that way. You are his handiwork. You are a masterpiece that God has made. You're not like anybody else. There is a beauty and a glory that is on your life. And God has, he has put gifts inside of you and a dream for you. That God has good plans for your life and God thinks about you all the time. Like he's thinking about you all the time. Even when you're not thinking about him, he is thinking about you. This beautiful truth in the, in the Psalms, it's actually Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 17 says this way. It says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Like you woke up this morning and God was thinking, he is thinking about you. It says he thinks about you, his thoughts of you, his good thoughts, his precious thoughts. He has amazing thoughts of you more than all the grains of sand in the, in the world. I'm like, Google, how many grains of sand are there in the world? 75 plus 17 zeros. I don't know how many that is. I know that's a lot. God's thinking about, and then I got, then I got like, went down a rabbit trail of like looking at grains of sand. And I was like, I want to see a grain of sand. And I found what a grain of sand, what grains of sand look like magnified 300 times. Just wonder. I'm like, that's what grains of sand, some of you don't believe me, ask Google, 300 times magnified, that's what's going on. And God knows each grain of sand and he knows you and he has created the universe for his glory. There is wonder everywhere we look and we're like, yeah, but what shows are on Netflix? Like, it's so easy to lose wonder. And so when Jesus said, if you want to enter in the kingdom, you got to have faith like a child. I believe what he's saying is I want to restore wonder to your heart. I want you to begin to wonder again. I want you to begin to dream again. Because wonder leads to freedom. It's what happened in Exodus. Wonder led to freedom. Exodus chapter 3, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Exodus chapter 3, we've got Moses in the wilderness. He's tending the sheep on the backside of the desert. And Moses comes, comes upon a bush that is on fire, a bush that is burning, and he notices it. And we're going to pick up in verse 2. It says, And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone to look over to, over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And God said, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the beginning of God calling Moses to go back to Egypt and to lead his people out of slavery. 
but it all begins to wonder. Did you see it? The moment when Moses asked a question, he says, why is this bush burning, but it does not burn up? It is not consumed. I started thinking about this, started wondering. I'm like, how long does it take to notice that a bush is on fire, but it is not burning up? And so I did some some scientific research this week, and I went out to the fire pit, and I took some logs, and I put them on the fire. And I looked, and it's about, it's, it's about 10 minutes, about 10 minutes. It takes about 10 minutes to realize that this, because the one I put on the fire, it burned up. So it would take about 10 minutes to realize, hey, this thing is on fire, and it is not burning up. And so Moses, for about 10 minutes, he's looking at this bush and he's going, and it says he noticed it and he went over out of curiosity, out of wonder, and he asked a question. He asked a question, why is this thing burning but does not burn up? It was almost like before God could set his people free, he needed somebody who was willing to stand still for 10 minutes. God was just looking for somebody who would, who would stop. Somebody, I wonder how many people walked by that burning bush? How many people were in their phones? <laughs> Made me wonder, how many burning bush moments do we miss because we're in our phones? How many of these moments are all around? I believe God is working and God is moving all the time. The question is, are we paying attention? Are our eyes open with wonder? Are we asking God, help me see where you're moving around me? Moses noticed that the bush was burning and did not burn up, and then God called his name. I wonder if sometimes our our call in life, what we're called to do and hearing from God is on the other side of, a, of 10 minutes of solitude and silence and meeting with God and experiencing his presence. And God says, Moses, I want you to take off your shoes. And Moses took off his shoes. I took off my shoes last service. My son Durham said, Dad, you know you had a hole in your sock. So I got new socks on for this service, I do. I said, don't you worry about my socks, Durham. Thank you for telling me. Moses took off his sandals and he was standing. God says, this holy ground where you're standing. And Moses had this encounter with God. God said, Moses, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now that got Moses' attention. That made him wonder, you know why? Because Moses never knew his dad. Go back and read the story. Moses was adopted early on into Pharaoh's household. He never knew his dad. And so he's like, you know my father? God, you know my dad. I never knew my dad. And in that moment, God calls Moses into his next. But it was on the other side of taking off his shoes. And so I started to wonder, why did Moses take off his shoes? And I read one rabbi that said, that, uh, <laughs> that like the bottom of your feet, that there are more nerve endings per centimeter than any other part. Like it's the most sensitive part of your the bottom of your feet. If you wanna know how sensitive it is, just scatter some Legos and turn off the lights and you'll, <laughs> you'll realize the glory of sensitivity. It's like God is saying, Moses, I want you to eliminate any barrier between me and you. I want you, any barrier between you and my presence. And the glory of the gospel is that through Jesus, God has eliminated the barrier. That now through Christ, we can draw as near as we want to be. If you've received Christ and you were in Christ, you can draw near to God. Look with me at Hebrews, 
Hebrews chapter, chapter 4. We're going to look at it together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is beautiful. The promise here is that if we're in Christ, anywhere and everywhere can be holy ground. That we can approach God boldly and confidently because of what Christ has done, not because of what we've done. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed or a grain of sand, you can enter into God's presence boldly and confidently to his throne of grace in your time of need. Which means in that moment when you're in need, you can have a burning bush moment. You can take off. Sometimes it might just be taking off your shoes just to know, God, I'm on holy ground. Not because I'm holy, but because you are holy and because of what Christ has done on the cross, I've been granted access. Dude, this, is, this is the gospel. And the good news, the good news that he's given us in this, in this verse is that, is that Jesus empathizes with us in our weaknesses. Maybe if you've got a Bible and you want to underline a word, just underline that word, empathize. That word empathize is a powerful word. And Jesus, through the incarnation, fully God and fully man, put skin on, became flesh, became human. And he empathizes us in our weaknesses, which means he feels, he has felt everything that we feel. Sad, glad, lonely, angry, shame. He's felt it all. Abandoned, betrayed, He's felt all of it. Grief, sorrow, Jesus has felt it. He has felt everything that we feel. He was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. So because Christ did not sin, and because of the cross, because of an empty tomb, because he rose again, because his spirit dwells in us, here's what that means is that we don't have to sin. If we're in Christ, we don't have to sin. Now we can choose to sin, but he broke the power of sin. And so that now we can live, we can live in his, in his righteousness, in his power. We have, been, we have received the righteousness of God. This is very good news. That means when God looks at us, when the father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees his son. And so we have the smile of God in Christ. And so Jesus, he empathizes with us in our weakness. That word empathize, that, that when we feel it, we need to know Jesus has felt it so that he can empathize with us. And so as in the series, like how do we restore wonder to our relationships? Week one, we talked about humility. Week two, we talked about integrity. This week, we're gonna talk about empathy. What is empathy? If you're taking notes, you can write down a definition. Let me give you one. There are many. Let me just give you this one. It's that empathy is the ability to feel what someone else is feeling. It's entering the experience of another person. Empathy is the ability to feel what somebody else is feeling to enter into the experience of another person. It's imagining what it's like to be in their shoes. That as followers of Jesus, we would be those who would take our shoes off and that we would be connected with God. That we remove any barrier in our connection with a God who empathizes with us so that we can empathize, so that we can imagine what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Empathy is that moment where you say, you know what, I feel felt. <laughs> It's like this person knows what's going on with me. 
That there's this, and empathy, it takes time and it takes emotion and it takes energy and it takes attention. There's a reason that they call it paying attention because it always costs you something. But it's the currency of the soul of relationships. And empathy is a, is a, is a gift that we give to others. And for a definition of empathy, we can go to Romans chapter 12, which is our anchor passage for this series. And I'll, I wanna read to you a section of verses and then at the last verse I'm gonna read is a definition of empathy. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. There's empathy. Listen, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Author John Ortberg calls this the golden rule of intimacy. It's the ability to rejoice when other people rejoice and mourn when other people mourn. It's to be able to, to, be, to be sad with somebody when they're sad and to be glad with somebody when they're glad. This is, this is, at, this is like, really it goes back to relationships and how, how this works. If, if you can do this, like you will have friends, you'll have many friends. But if we miss this, we'll find that our relationships struggle. To rejoice when others rejoice and to, to, to weep when others weep. And this is not the way of the world. The way of the world is to rejoice when others mourn and to mourn when others rejoice. But the way of the kingdom is to empathize, to rejoice when others rejoice and to mourn with others when they mourn. And it's powerful. When the kids were little, we had this game we'd play at the table called highs and lows. And we still do it sometimes. We'll just ask the question, what was your high point? What was your low point on the day? And what we're doing in that moment is that we're asking those questions. We're gonna rejoice with others when they rejoice. We're gonna mourn with others when they mourn. We're gonna be sad with others when they're sad. We're gonna be glad with others when they're glad. This is the highs. And you know what's crazy about that game is we never outgrow it. I was with a group of pastors two weeks ago in, uh, in Charleston, and we were, we were sitting out there, we were having low country bowl, and I'm not asking you to be sorry for me, but we were having low country bowl, it was amazing. And we were like eating shrimp, and the guy was like, yeah, we bought the shrimp from the people right across this. I mean, it's just, it was incredible, low country bowl. But what was even better than the food was the conversation. Because these pastors are pastors that I've journeyed with over the past few years, and they were all leading like in, in churches that have been in transition, and we just come around, and we, we do that together. We share high points and low points. And grown men sharing high points and low points since the last time we met. And when it came time for, uh, for my question, there was one, the guy who leads the group, and we'll just say his name is Sean, because that's his name. Um, <laughs> Sean asked the question, he said, um, he asked about something that I've been leading, that I led through last year that was particularly difficult. And he asked the question about that and asked for me to share. And I, I shared about that. And as I was sharing about um, something that I led through, he just, he got emotional and he started tearing up. And Sean is a man's man. He is a retired Air Force pilot, pastor, coach, leader. And, and as I'm sharing with, and he's tearing up, I start to tear up. And I thought, I thought you know what? I, I thought I already felt my feelings about that. I shoved them down. I thought I felt my feelings and those feelings started coming back up. And he's, he's crying, like he's tearing up. Now I'm tearing up. And have you ever wished that your tear ducts were somewhere other than your face? Like in your armpits where nobody else can see? Lower back, tear ducts. I mean, just somewhere that other people don't know. And like, he's, he's, and like, he's tearing up. Like, I'm tearing up. I'm like, ah. Oh. 
I don't want to do this right now. But what happened was there was empathy. And what, in that conversation, there was healing that took place because someone sat when there was a connection that took place. That's what empathy does, and we never outgrow it. It is hardwired into us. Have you ever, have you ever held a, a baby and, and looked at a baby and then, um, and then smiled at the baby and the baby smiles back? You ever had one of those moments where you smile at the baby and the baby smiles back? It's called attunement, where there's this attunement that, that they're, they're, reading, they're reading your face and you're reading, or sometimes like, like you read their face, you smile, they smile. You ever going, ha, ah, don't do that. No, I'm just kidding, don't do that. That's horrible. But there's something that happens with that connection. And when the baby smiles, or you smile, the baby smiles, it just says like, I'm glad to be here with you. And there's a connection that takes place. We're hardwired for empathy. We're hard, hardwired for attunement. God made us that way. And so when we give the gift of empathy, it's important to note what's on the other side of that. Paul gives us, um, gives us a clue here in Romans about what love looks like. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what's good. So these are two, two ingredients to sincere, authentic love. He says, one is, one is integrity and the other is purity. He says, integrity is love must be sincere. That means without hypocrisy. That's what we talked about last week. This is not pseudo-empathy. This is not pretending. This is not just putting on a mask. This is actual from the heart feeling. This is a heart connection. It requires you to be fully present. Have you ever been sharing like from your heart and somebody pull out their phone? You're like, well, now I know where I'm at on the friendship totem pole. You know, like, but this is, we have to battle against that and saying, okay, I'm gonna not make, let technology get in the way of this. I'm gonna stay connected here, pay attention. I'm gonna imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. And then we're listening and with that, love must be sincere. It must be authentic. And the interest, interesting thing about this is where he says, your love must be sincere. Sincere love smells like sacrifice. Sincere love smells like sacrifice. It always requires sacrifice. That we're sacrificing time, that we're sacrificing energy, that we're sacrificing emotion, that we're sacrificing our agenda, that we're sacrificing what we have working on, that we're sacrificing saying, I'm here with you. It's authentic love. Now the question is, it, can I give love if I don't feel love? Like, is it sincere? If I give love and I don't feel love, is that, is that sincere? In that moment, we go to the cross. We're reminded of the cross, and on the cross, Jesus gave his life for us when we were at our worst. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so from the cross, that's where we receive what love is. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Love smells like sacrifice. So in that moment, I receive love from God. We can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have, but we receive his love. This is why it's okay to pray this prayer. Jesus, you love me, and Jesus, you love them. Would you love them through me? We're receiving sincere love from him so that we can give it to others. To love another person when you don't feel like it is not insincerity, it's maturity. Maturity is doing things that we don't feel like to do that are the right thing to do, but we're depending on God for his love so that we can love other people. And sometimes the feeling follows the action. Sometimes the feeling follows the action. So putting that love into action, then we, we actually feel love. So we receive that that authentic love from God, and then we give that love to others. And it's giving people love is, 
is giving people what they, they need. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So maturity is not giving people what we feel like giving them. Because sometimes you might feel like giving somebody the finger. I mean, just saying. Um, it's, not give, it's not giving somebody, it's, re, it's not repaying people evil for evil. It's giving people what they need. And that's love. Some. Second, he says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Dallas Willard defines evil this way. He says, evil is intent upon the destruction of what is good in human life. Evil is intent upon the destruction of what is good in human life. The reason I want to bring this up is authentic love, sincere love, it's, it's in, with integrity, but then it's also with purity. And if someone loves us, truly loves us, they're not going to lead us toward evil. They're not going to lead us toward what is destructive in our life. But it's going to be toward what is wise, and it's going to be toward what is good. It's going to be what leads us toward human flourishing. Here's the whole reason I say that is because empathy is so powerful, we just have to be discerning about who's on the other end of the empathy. Because God knows that empathy is powerful. He's hardwired us that way. But sometimes people will use empathy to manipulate. So we have to be discerning who's on the other side of the empathy. Because not everybody who rings the doorbell gets to come in the house. Not everybody who demonstrates empathy deserves the connection. So we just have to be discerning about who's on the other side of the empathy. And so we want to rejoice with others who rejoice and mourn with others who mourn. And in doing that is access for us to truly love people, for us to speak truth, for us to share life, for us to share the hope of Jesus. So how do we recapture wonder in our relationships? Let me do this. Let me do something. That, let me give you, I'm going to give you four, just kind of coach you up with four practical things that you can do this week that will help recapture wonder in relationships. The first involves asking God. It's praying and asking God, God, would you, God, would you restore would you restore, would you give me ability? Would you give the capacity to see people like you see them? And would you fill my heart with your love for them? This is back to that prayer we said, Jesus, you love me and you love them. Would you love them through me? And all of this begins at the cross. It begins with gratitude and saying, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the cross. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down. For it begins in gratitude. And it's asking, it's asking Jesus to help you, the one who empathizes with you to help you empathize with others. The second would be to prayerfully imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. To prayerfully imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. And this is, I'd say, engage your prophetic imagination. Find some fire and look at it for a little while. Start, a, start in the fire pit, light a candle. Just sit there for a moment and just pray for that person and ask God, God, would you help me imagine what it's like to be in their shoes right now? Maybe it's somebody who's particularly difficult in your life right now, or maybe there's a relationship strained or challenged. This is, this is what we call intercessory prayer, that we're imagining what it's like to be in their shoes and we're praying for them. We're praying for them and we're asking the Spirit to, to help us know how to pray because we don't know how to pray on our own. But God is so good in that he, Jesus, intercedes for us and the Spirit helps us intercede for other people. So that's imagine what it's like to be in their shoes Third is practice the golden rule of intimacy. Here would be my encouragement this week that we just practice. That we're all learning and we're all just practicing, but that when we see somebody rejoice, that we rejoice with them. At the office, at home, school, when somebody's rejoicing, 
When somebody gets a promotion, when somebody is celebrated, when somebody has a greatest, that we take a moment, we celebrate with them online, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. We are sad with others who are sad, and we come alongside them. And here's my problem. I want to be a fixer. I want to fix things. So when somebody's sad, I want to fix it. And you know, the, the older I grow, the more I realize they're just things I can't fix. And so I just want to be with. I'm learning to be with other people. And what happens is when we're with people like that, well, it cuts those sorrows in half. And when we're with people like that, well, it multiplies the rejoicing. It multiplies the joys. And so we're practicing this together to empathy is being, being sad with people when they're sad and being glad with people when they're glad. And this is not the way of the world. The way of the world is to, to be glad when other people are sad and to be sad when other people are glad. It's in the way of the kingdom. It's to practice the golden rule of intimacy. And then last, intentionally ask questions. Intentionally ask questions. It may be as simple as bringing back highs and lows to our conversation with our friends and with our family members and to practice listening. And sometimes when we do this around the table, we can spend time while other people are talking, thinking about what we're gonna say, like rehearsing how we're gonna get the perfect answer. I wanna encourage you to press back on that. We don't have, any, we don't have to impress anybody. The point of this is to listen, is to practice listening. And as we practice listening, well, what we find is that there's a moment we just, it's like we had this burning bush moment where we just take off our shoes and we imagine being what it's like to be in another person's shoes as well. And the beautiful thing about this, no matter where we're at on the empathy level, no matter where we are, whether we can always, we can always grow in this. And we want to help you continue to take steps. In fact, we've put together a, a, a link that you can go to this page, and we've got some questions for you to bring into conversations this week. Whether you go on a walk with a friend or a family member, or whether it's at a dinner table, or a table over lunch, or even a conversation today, some questions that can help you as spouses, or maybe um, with your kids, or friendship, or relationship. We've got questions just to help you open up access to those conversations and, uh, and make that, made that connection. That we would have those burning bush moments, those holy moments in conversation. Because when somebody's heart starts to, starts to open up, when they begin to open up and they, they feel felt, well, that's a powerful, powerful thing. There's healing that takes place. And this connection, it's a gift from God. That wonder is restored. Uh, came across something pretty wonderful this week because when you think about empathy is powerful and it's a gift from God. But you know something else that gift of God is that attunement. And there was this that attunement was given to it. God made us that way. And in, in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, there's this high priestly blessing that every time the people of God, when they would leave from their worship together, there would be this blessing that would be given. It was the high priestly blessing. I want to share it with you. It's in Numbers chapter six, verse 24. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I love this. What, what does that mean that says his face shine on you? It means he smiles on you. Like how would you live this week if you know that God was smiling over you? That you had the smile of the Father. That as followers of Jesus, we have the smile of the Father. And that all week long, we bring that attunement that our Father in heaven is smiling over us so that we can smile, so that we can experience that love, joy, and peace, and so that we can take that to the world because we can't give what we don't have. But if we'll take some moments before him, take our shoes off in his presence. I'm not saying you actually have to take off your shoes, but you can. But take some moments and receive that love. Meet him in his word. Meet him in prayer. 
And then with our shoes off, we imagine what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. And we intercede and we pray for them. Wonder can be recaptured. Relationships can be restored. Up there can come down here. It can happen through you. And so I wanna, I wanna pray for you. But before I do, I wanna let you know we're gonna have prayer teams down front at all of our campuses. Be glad to come partner with you in prayer. And there may be, and maybe you're like me, there, where there are relationships in your life that uh, maybe there's some that aren't where you want them to be. And what you need today is for somebody to come alongside you and to pray with you, to intercede for you. We'd be glad to stand in prayer with you and to have a holy moment praying for that relationship. It's what we're here for. So at all our campuses down front, we'd be glad to do that. But I'd love to pray for you right now. We pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have your smile. We just receive that. Thank you that you have precious thoughts of us more than all the grains of sand. Would you restore wonder with you? Thank you that we have Jesus who empathizes with us in our weakness. And thank you, Jesus, that in our weakness, your grace, your strength is made perfect. So we bring you our weakness in our relationships and we receive your grace and your strength. And we pray that this week that you would help us put this into practice. We pray that there would be wonder in our hearts, wonder in our homes, wonder in our friendships, in our relationships, and that through wonder, we would look more like love. That Jesus, we would look more like you. And that an unbelieving world would find you believable would find what is true as we love more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we're going to have a prayer team available for you. You can go to that link online, ask some questions this week, and we'll see you back next week as we finish out this series.